relationship with my birth mother is non-existent anymore. Oh, yeah. I kind of hate calling her birth mother. I, I usually call her incubator because, you know, she did. That's all she did for me. That's all she's ever done for me. Who am I? 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 This is Who Am I Really? A podcast about adoptees that have located and connected with their biological family members. I'm Damon Davis, and my guest today asked that I maintain her anonymity, so I'll refer to her as Nina. She shared her story growing up with dedicated parents who embraced her challenges and gave her the foundational support she needed. Her birth father found her through a reunification registry, and while he has his own struggles, he's a very dear friend to Nina. However, her birth mother started down the path of secondary rejection, won't take responsibility for not getting Nina prenatal care, and is overzealous with her dedication to her religion all of which has driven a wedge between Nina and the woman. This is Nina's journey. Life for Nina was idyllic as an adoptee. She was told she was adopted, and her adopted parents never kept it a secret. Nina told me she still has a Sesame Street book called Susan and Gordon Adopt a Baby, in which Big Bird asks the couple questions about adoption and what it means. She likened her life to the book because she would ask questions, they would be answered, and life would go on. Everything was just fine until Nina was 12 years old. But I know that they did start taking me to the therapist after a bit because I started having these nightmares that um, I was being abducted by my birth parents in, um, in a white van and uh you know one of those uh one of those creepy white vans we all talk about so you know the windowless white van came and took me so um i don't know where that trope came into my mind at eight years old but it did everything everything was completely idyllic until my adoptive father died um when i was 12 suddenly from a heart attack quickly before you get to the to your father did the did the therapy mm -hmm. help um, you know, the therapy was quite interesting because it did help. I still maintain that therapist, even though she's a child therapist. You know, if if I'm in if I'm in town, I will still go and see her. Um, wow. so because there there is such a long relationship there that she really does understand me. I think she she is most fascinated by the fact that, you know, I had forecasted my dad's death when I was like eight. Well, she did those picture things and she said, you know, tell me, tell me something. And she's, you know, drawing pictures or she had little, you know, stuffed animals in there. And I drew a picture apparently of my dad lying on the ground. And she said, what's that? And she said, and I said, well, that's dad. And she said, why is he on the ground? And I said, he's had a heart attack and he's dead. So um, I don't know, maybe at that point I became the creepy sixth sense child or something. Wow. But um, anyway, I don't know, um, take it as you like. But I, I guess I tend to look at it as, um, as you know, having a closeness to, to him and, you know, being able to, see that but um he did he 
had a heart attack and he died and then it did it made things it made things so so very different i don't want to say hard but it made things really rather different with my relationship with my mom because uh i'm i am disabled primarily because of my birth mother's actions my adoptive mom became that helicopter parent you always hear about but it was more like you know be careful i don't think you can do this because you know you've got some disabilities whereas my dad was just kind of like oh let her play in the dirt it's good for her mm. you know um so he was definitely that type of parent and um which which i thought was good and i think that's probably the way i'll parent because you know it's like well, you know, you have issues, but hey, um, you know, you're either gonna, we're either gonna like molly coddle you or, you know, you're gonna get through this um, and get through this with some life skills, so. Nina said she kinda resisted her adopted mother's style of parenting, but by the same token, her adopted mother was pretty busy running the family business and maintaining their house, so Nina didn't see her much during that time. She didn't feel unloved. She had the feeling that her adopted mom would spend time with her after everything was done. She says her mom has always been like that, and it's a repeated theme of her life to this day. She says her mom just likes to work. Even at Christmas time, when her adopted mother comes over, she cleans the floors after Nina and her husband have already done so. Nina says her adopted mother does those things from a place of caring. Yes, exactly. I do see it all as caring. And, you know, I'm very glad that I have somebody who, who is like that. That's really cool. Even if it's challenging. I know what you mean. There's there's folks around you that they just, they care so much in the way that they do things that it can be challenging to have them around all the time because of that level or that type of caring. It is. <clears throat> Yeah. It is, but you know, having been sick this whole time, it's like, you know, I I do I I need her around. Um mm-hmm. and I don't, you know, I think my husband could provide some of that care, but you know, because because he has a set job, you know, whereas, you know, uh my mother owns her own business, you know, so she could kind of make her own hours. So then it's like, you know, um, I do. I'm better off being taken care of by her. Nina shared that her adopted father was white. He was in his 50s when they adopted Nina. His brother, her uncle, took a DNA test that basically said they were Northern European with some Northern African mixed in. That was a shock for the uncle, who Nina says was slightly racist. But her father was probably indifferent to it all. In the 1960s, he marched as a white ally with blacks fighting for civil rights. Even going back to his youth, he would have parties at his home on the farm for the Mexican farmhands of his parents. That kind of behavior incensed his mother, Nina's grandmother, who was also very racist. Incredibly racist. And so he actually, I don't know what happened, but he he became the opposite of that. And, you know, something clicked in his head and... Uh, and unlike his brothers and sisters, he just, he became very, very committed to the opposite cause, to the cause of, you know, unification of everyone. You know, race was was there, but it was mostly a social construct that we have imposed upon ourselves. Um, but, 
So and she. How about, um, and how about your mom? What is her her racial or ethnic background? She, um, she she was. That's interesting because it's like almost almost the opposite. Because she grew up in a little town, and um, basically she and her family were like the only brown people. But you know, that's the funny part about you know people who are racist is they're they're so dumb and so that you know they don't even seek to see you know where you're from you know so she she and her family got called the n-word all the time but they were half polish and half lebanese um so you know it's it's that's a very interesting pair um to have as she admits and says to other people who say Wow, that's a really interesting combination. You know, she said, well, they were both Catholic, so that's the only way that worked out. Nina says she really resembles her adopted mother, such that whenever she was with her father, who was a bit older, he was often seen as her grandfather, which upset her. She's a little bit lighter in complexion than her mother, but if you saw them together as a family unit, you could easily make the leap that the couple shared biology with their daughter. Recounting what led up to her search for her birth family, Nina said she asked more often about her birth mother, nearly never about her birth father. Her questions started at an early age, arising around the time her therapy began. Then it was, you know, it was all kind of like, well, you know, when when you're ready to go and, and try to, you know, search for her, we'll help you, you know, but then they put in the caveat of, but you have to remember that she, she may have, you know, a different life and not want to be found. And so, uh, and they, they did, they always gave me the caveat of, of, you know, this may be a whole different, you know, situation for her. And yeah, I kept that in my brain by the same token, it can't, it popped up every once in a while that I thought, oh, and I wonder where she is. And then it thought, and then I kind of thought a little bit more about it and um, really, really gave it some, some hard thinking. It, it came down to, I wanted to see somebody who looked like me. And I think that's, you know, that's kind of an old, an old trope there in mm-hmm. itself, but it's, it's true. I, I think, yeah, that's the thing about stereotypes is unfortunately they're stereotypes because they're, they're true. And it wasn't enough that my mother's sort of looks like me. Um, you know, it was, it, it was something else because they said they met her briefly. Did they describe to you at all what the circumstances were for them meeting her? Yeah, it was it was full on described to me because I, don't, I was a private adoption. So, you know, it was very it, it was all very um, I mean, it's a private, but it was all very open for a little bit. They just they they said that they had gone in there right after she had delivered and they were they were kind of I guess the doctors were working on me per se. And, uh, you know, then they got to go see her and uh, before they saw me. And then they they said that she uh, they said that she looked like me. And uh, that was pretty much about it. That's pretty much all both of them remembered. Nina said she knew the doctor and the nurse who delivered her. And they both recalled her birth mother at the time of her delivery. They said her birth mother looked very young. She seemed very scared, and they said there were complications from not really getting any prenatal care. And? 
you said I was way, I was in the oven way too long. I was the overcooked bun. That's where all my disabilities came from. It's it's kind of one of those spectrum things of you need to be born right in the middle because there's being born way too early, which causes complications, and being born way too late, which causes complications. So can you give me so. a time frame, like how much longer were, do you know at how many weeks you were born? Um, I don't know, but he just, he, he told me, um, and it's always been told to me by medical professionals because it's just on my chart since forever that, you know, I was born too late. Um, and that was just going to cause some complications, but, you know, my parents didn't really care. They were really quite desperate for a child and they did not care whether I was a boy or a girl, or if I came out with, you know, three feet, um, they, they were going to take me home full stop. The delivery doctor said Nina was going to need some help because, to use her words, the bun in the oven might come out larger if you leave it in longer, but you're also likely to burn it. But Nina's adopted parents never told her the reason why she struggled with physical disabilities. Seeing that she was intellectually strong, they made the decision to keep the fact that she was in gestation too long to themselves. In their estimation, they could help her overcome her physical limitations and difficulties. Nina says she's had trouble walking, has decreased stamina, and has a weakened immune system. And then also just being susceptible to pretty much anything that goes. It's like there's a cold going on. I'm going to catch it. Mm -hmm. It's like I, I should have been a goalkeeper for soccer because anything comes along and I catch it. <laughs> She told me her physical limitations played out weirdly in her academics as the school staff seemed to make assumptions about her intellectual limitations and put her in classes beneath her capabilities. She remembers one time her father had to go into the principal's office to have a confrontation about putting his daughter on the right curricular path. Anyway, Nina's search was also partially catalyzed a few years ago because her health was suffering so much that she really felt she needed to find her birth mother. Medical necessity, compounded with the still-present desire to find someone who looked like herself, drove her forward. And it was interesting because whereas, you know, my parents had always said, oh, you know, when it's the time is right, we'll help you. That was really not the case with my mom. She had a complete change of heart and was not okay. And I think it was due to the fact that you know, she did most of the medical complications that had happened had just, you know, kind of boiled down to resentment over the years for her. And I don't know, I didn't see it that way because um, I don't know, it just, I guess, you know, part of me was just like, well, she was young and she was scared. So anyway, call it naivety, call it whatever you want. Um, but she, she, there was no prenatal care and there was, she did nothing, absolutely nothing. Nina told me her birth mother had resources available while she was pregnant. There were clinics and other opportunities for services, but her birth mother didn't do a single thing for Nina's health. Knowing that, watching her daughter's struggles made her adopted mother resentful. At 30 years old, Nina decided she would start off on Facebook looking for her birth mother, and she found her immediately. They weren't Facebook friends, so there was some online stalking, checking out what other people posted on her wall to learn more about the woman. Nina said she also knew where her parents kept all of the important papers at their house, 
Everything from vehicle titles to bank notices. So she figured there were probably adoption documents there too. And indeed, there was a paper. I don't know, it was some odd part of a will because my mother and I made a will together. And there was some odd part of it that had said, you know, in the event of my death, this lady was to be notified. And they gave um, an address. And it was, it was, really kind of a once once I got there as a very out in the woods address but on Facebook I was able to utilize that address and that you know location that town to see that you know it was it was definitely that people from that area um, you know were her friends on Facebook. Nina sent her birth mother a message through Facebook then waited a week she sent another message Then she realized her birth mother wasn't accessing the Other Messages section of her Facebook page. But Nina felt confident she had found the right woman. They looked so much alike in the eyes, and Nina could see that if the woman cut her hair shorter, they would look just alike. She saw pictures of her half-brothers, and she looked almost exactly like one of them too. Since seeing people who looked like herself was so important to Nina, I figured this must have been a really poignant moment to see faces like hers online. She said, It was actually creepy. It was actually quite creepy to me. And and that's the best word I can use to describe it. My husband, he always says, I don't understand creepy. He he said, I've never understood the word creepy. He said, I've never been creeped out. And um, and we, we had some incident. I forget what it was exactly. But he looked at me and he's like, he goes, that's creepy. I said, that's exactly it. That is creepy. And I got him to figure out creepy. And, and I said, what? And, you know, he, he has Asperger's, but, um, you know, <clears throat> so I always go over things with him because um, I've worked um, with people with Asperger's. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, so I, say, I always go over feelings with him. And I say, so why did that make you feel creepy? And he said, well, he goes, it was a situation that I thought would never arise. And he said, but it was almost, you know, he said it was almost too good to be true. He said, but he said, but by the same token, he said, it's just so many coincidences that line up. He said that it kind of, kind of scares you a bit. And so it was, it was a situation where a lot of coincidences lined up and it did. It it scared me a bit. Nina never got a reply to her Facebook messages, so with a friend who bolstered her confidence to press on, she drove out to the address she had for her birth mother. Nina said she was glad her friend was by her side because the address was to what Nina described as a dilapidated flop house. It had no windows, and there was a barn attached to it. When they arrived, there was a couple standing outside, and there were people inside, but No one knew of Nina's birth mother from 30 years before. Facebook also listed a workplace for her birth mother, so they went there. Nina spoke with her birth mother's boss and asked if he would deliver a message. And I said, so if you could, would you deliver this letter? And he read it, you know, and then he he knew it was about you know, adoption and et cetera, and that I was looking for birth records. And, you know, then then I added that, you know, two things is I would like to see her because I was always told that I looked like her. And then the other thing was, is that I wanted her to know I was okay. Um, 
And, uh, you know, because there's that thing of, you know, I want you to know you made the right decision or whatever. So I so I put that in there and he said um, he just he was very he was very curt and very gruff. But um, I, I thank him for doing for for uh, extending himself a little bit. So he just kind of looked at me and my friend. And he's like, you know, you, you stay here. And so it's like, OK, great. Where is he going now to get his gun or something? Actually, sure enough, he returned and he returned with with this lady um, who I was pretty sure was my birth mother and uh, talked for a little bit. Anyway, she listened and really had no expression on her face except for kind of a listening expression. And um, anyway, she just listened to what I had to say. And then she just said, I'm sorry, I'm not that person. So it was really it it was just like you know when she said oh i'm i'm not this woman you're looking for she said we have the same name it's a very it's a very uncommon name mm. very uncommon name i looked at it and i just looked at her and i just i i did i want to say you're lying but i didn't but anyway i was i was really upset with myself you know because when you're a perfectionist at the end of the day it's like you let yourself down but i i did i was just like you know, I came out here all the way, you know, and into God's country of, you know, dust bowl and tumbleweed. Right. And, right. you know, it's just like, I, you know, and then I dragged my friend along with me and, you know, this, this bore no fruit at all. And then it's like, but this woman, she looks exactly like me. And I, I just, I did something inside me said, you know, you're not wrong about this. And then my friend looked at me and, you know, we chatted to this lady and then I did, I just kind of broke down crying. Cause it's just like, I thought I had it. I absolutely thought I had it. So she rejects me to my face. Um, I'm very upset because I did, I, I was for sure um, that this was her. And so then um, as usual, when you have any problems, um, a hamburger fixes everything. <laughs> so, um, you know, my friend and I drove out of that area um, back to civilization and uh, sat down and uh, we had cheeseburgers together and uh, and an extra, extra large portion of fries. That's you know, medicinal right uh, there. <laughs> right. <laughs> so what's hap- what happens I, next then? You guys have you have some medicinal food and hamburgers and stuff. I had given this lady my phone number and I said, if you find the other person from your, you know, hometown that has the same name, um, would you please call me and let her know that I, I need to find her because I, you know, I'm desperate for some medical information. And so, you know, she took it, smiled, nodded, and gave me a hug and, you know, a pat on the cheek and a kiss on the forehead and said, you know, don't worry, you'll find her. And it was just, you know, this, the way she acted. And she said, well, if you're ever in any medical need, you know, I would be willing to donate blood to you. And it's just, it was, it was, she was very sweet and maternal and, you know, was Mm. came off as very upset that, you know, I couldn't find this, this lady. Nina confesses she took this woman at her word that she was not her birth mother, even though every fiber in her being was screaming, you're lying. So she and her friend are enjoying their yummy medicinal cheeseburgers, recounting everything they had been through to that point. Then Nina's phone rang. I looked at my friend and she goes, I think that's her. And I think she's calling to tell you. 
that it's her. So I answered and, you know, quite a bit of hesitation and trepidation and, uh, you know, it's her on the other side of the line. And she says, um, yes, I'm your mother. And she said, you know, there was no sorry I lied to you. There was just, yes, I'm your mother. You know, I, I have some medical documents. And it was just, she, she just kind of went into robot mode. And, you know, yes, I have this. Yes, I have that. And blah, 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 blah. And it's like, okay, fantastic lady. But why did, why weren't you honest? You know, and I, and I said to her, you know, why, why weren't you honest? Um, you know, I was right there. She said, well, I was scared. And I said, I, I said, but, you know, it was just us and your boss. Nobody else had to know. I said, you know, was any of your family around? She said, no. And it was just like, well, okay. So you, you create this, you know, I didn't go into it at the point, but it was like, you create this huge lie, not knowing me, not anything. And it just, it came out as rejection number two. So rejection number one was in, when she fled out in the middle of the night from the hospital, leaving no information mm -hmm. um, whatsoever. And, you know, even the fact that she had left like a current address, the current address really didn't exist. Nina admitted that her approach, basically showing up at the woman's place of employment, completely unannounced, was an unexpected intrusion into the woman's world. The woman revealed to Nina the person who convinced her to call back was her husband. He knew about Nina because, with scars from a cesarean section, there was no way to hide her truth. The couple agreed they also needed to tell their adult children about Nina's emergence. Nina said, her birth mother didn't want to call her back, but she's glad the woman's husband had the vision to recognize what his wife needed to do to step up and open up to Nina's return and request for medical help. On the phone, Nina reiterated the two things she wanted, to see someone who looked like herself and to receive her pertinent medical information. These are the only things I really want. I'm not asking for a full-time relationship. I'm not asking for any of that. And I said, that comes from you. And I said, what we get out of this, that's that's up to you because, you know, I'm, I'm just here. And, you know, whatever you want um, in this relationship, that's, that is, that is your choice and um, at your pace. And I said, you know, if it's not, good with me, then I'll tell you. But, you know, I felt I, I felt she would be the one, if anyone, to break off a relationship because mm -hmm. she was so sketchy and she was so edgy. And so I did. I just felt that that would, you know, she 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 would say one day, nope, and um, just disappear into thin air. And she hasn't done that. Uh, she hasn't. She, no, I was the one who said nope, but I've not disappeared into thin air. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I still have contact with with my half brothers. Um, you know, they they've you know, she's made a lot of mistakes. They have they, they've made no mistakes. You know, I can't I can't ever fault them for anything. Yeah. Because, you know, if anything, I kind of feel sorry for them because they've been stuck with her for their whole lives. Yeah, yeah. When I asked Nina about finding her birth father and how her birth mother helped or was supportive, she said, She completely lied about who he was. Um, you know, she gave me a name. And, you know, if it could have been 
any closer to John Smith, it would have been John Smith. Um, you know, it, it was just like a, a nothing name. And uh, I don't know where he's from. And, you know, you know, he, he walked out on me, blah, 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 left me pregnant. Um, it was it was horrible. And I knew before she told me this, that this was not true. She's she is an absolute serial liar. Like, I don't know. I can't even go into how much she lies about things. Mm -hmm. But my birth father had found me. Nina was about 20 years old, well before she found her birth mother. Her birth father found her through an adoption search registry where Nina had entered her birth mother's name as the woman she was searching for, but hadn't entered a birth father's name. The birth father's name listed on Nina's birth certificate was a very John Doe, general male's name anyway. So he wrote to Nina, describing his life in those days, saying he was with her birth mother at the time Nina was conceived. He was pretty sure he was her biological father. So he goes, I am pretty sure that I'm your biological father. And, you know, again, it's like creepy, creepy man sending me creepy information, you know, and it's like, okay, well, you know, I'd like a bit of more information from your side of things. And so he said, you know, okay. And he just spilled the beans and said what was going on and then said just one day she up and disappeared. Like, literally, he came He came back to the place they were sharing, and there was no note, no nothing. Her clothes were gone. He said she didn't have much to begin with, but so her clothes were gone. Everything was gone, and he just said she was. She, she was just gone, and he had tried to locate her, and um, it, it seems that there's just, like, a little bit of, you know, in that area, there's just kind of a, a sort of wall of silence of, people protecting their own anyway he said that it basically he just kind of got turned away at most places nina's birth father reportedly even threatened some people as he searched for his then girlfriend but that was a bad move because those protecting nina's birth mother told him he needed to pack up and leave the whole abrupt and mysterious breakup took a toll on the man his life began to decline and he even had a nervous breakdown he told Nina that her birth mother, who was overweight at the time anyway, was gaining weight, but never told him she was pregnant. You know, he was really excited. And, you know, he said, you know, I've always wanted a kid. And, you know, he said, I really wanted a girl, too. He's like, because, you know, but he did. He said, you know, if it's, it's about, you know, your feelings about, you know, how you want to continue. And I said, well... He was in Europe, and I said, you know, from the fact that, you know, I'm all the way somewhere else, and, you know, you're all the way somewhere else, then I don't feel like we can, you know, at this point, have a proper relationship. And uh, so he said, you know, that's fine. And he said, you know, do you mind if I email you every once in a while? And he goes, I promise it won't, you know, it won't be taxing. Mm -hmm. And so I said, yeah. And sure enough, he said, okay. And, you know, nice meeting you, and uh, disappeared. Her birth father didn't vanish. He just went away and checked in lightly with her from time to time, like he promised he would. So, her birth father lives in Europe. Nina loves studying abroad, so she decided to take a second study abroad trip in the area where her birth father was living. In that city, Nina asked one of her professors to go along with her to a coffee shop and sit at a nearby table to work for her first meeting with the man who said he was her birth father. 
And so then I met the man who claimed he was my birth father and, you know, came in and it was just like, there is no resemblance to this man whatsoever. I, I feel he talked with me very, very well dressed, very, you know, I mean, this guy went to the best schools in the world, extremely educated, but he was, he was a little weird. Um, mm -hmm. He was just a little weird. And, you know, he said, uh, you know, he said, I have to tell you, I have like multiple mental health issues. Mm -hmm. and he said, so, um, and he's like, one of them is kind of, he said, I, I've kind of got a bit of agoraphobia. He said, so I'm not really comfortable being here. He said, by the same token, I think it would be really weird for me to ask you to come over to my place. He said, and you probably won't feel comfortable with that. And I said, no, I won't feel comfortable with that at all. He, uh, he said, okay. And so then he said, well, you know, uh, he said, I, I do want to figure out if you really are my daughter. And, you know, I said, yeah, I'm totally fine with taking a, you know, DNA test or whatever. It's like literally next day, there's a, something for me, you know, at the place I was staying. I, I mean, it's a, his lawyer, his, his lawyer's, you know, dressed in a nice suit, probably a tailored suit and comes and like hands me this envelope. And it's like, okay, this guy's got some money going on. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was an envelope, basically like a non-disclosure agreement that, you know, if I don't turn out to be the one, then um, I have no right to say that he has, you know, it's just, like okay he's got some money here because it's it's talking about i have no right to his property or money or anything nina went over the legal documents with her professor because even with her minor in law her emotions were overtaking her training she signed the paper went to the designated testing center then a few days later the same well-dressed lawyer was back with more legal papers clearly drawing the line again that nina has no rights to the man's wealth the whole thing made her wonder, how many children has this guy fathered to be making such strides to protect himself? They met up again at the coffee shop. Nina's professor posted up again nearby. I'm kind of surprised because I have zero resemblance to you, like whatsoever. And uh, I don't know. I it's, It is. It's a case of nature versus nurture because there's so many things that you know, over the years, I found that he's interested in that I am and, you know, things I can't really explain as to why I like them. But then it just gets explained that he likes them. And, you know, I think we kind of have the same laugh. And, um, you know, we have he and I have a really good relationship. It's like, you know, big brother, little sister kind of relationship. You know, uh -huh. I don't um, you know, I had my dad and that was nice. And then I had a boss who was very much like a father to me. As I said, he was the one who walked me down the aisle. I've never had like a true father connection to my birth father. I mean, certainly he's been there for me and all that type of thing. But um, I don't know. He, I guess he understands that, you know, he's, the problems that have come between us are usually due to his mental illnesses. He'll, he'll drop off the radar for it. He's much better now. He's really quite stable with his mental health now, but, mm -hmm. you know, he would, he'd drop off the radar for a while. Nina told me that she doesn't necessarily have a father-daughter relationship with her birth father, even though she's sought father-like figures throughout her life since losing her adopted father. Bosses, professors, and other men in strong positions in her life have all served paternal roles. 
Uh, I'm not going to lie. I have major daddy issues from, you know, my adoptive father passing away. So um, I do look for a dad somewhere. And, um, you know, even even right now, you know, because it's two and a half years since my boss passed away, it's like I'm um, I'm kind of struggling to try and stop myself from, you know, from looking at my birth father as a father because, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's one of those paths that you go down and it's like, this man has, you know, some, some major mental health issues. And, um, you know, he's, he's tried to commit suicide a few times while I've known him and it's just, Mm. everything piles up on him and he just, and that's his, that's his MO. He just, you know, every single time things pile up, they become too much and he just tries to commit suicide. Fortunately, he's really horrible at it or, you know, he, he doesn't do it with, with full intent. So uh, I don't know. Um, anyway, you know, I try, I've tried to help him. I've gone to visit him. But, you know, again, with people who have serious, serious mental health issues, there's only so much you can do um, because it is an illness. And, you know, I mean, for a lot of people, it is incurable. He has the wherewithal to say, you know, I need help by the same token. You know, beyond that, it's like he, he does. There's not a lot that can be done for him. You know, when he when he's when he's great, he's awesome. When he's not good, he's you know he's really bad, and I I, I find it very hard to be around him, and I don't like to see him suffering. Of course, uh, not, yeah. But you know, uh, I do. I feel I feel a need to be there. So because I mean, at the very end of the day, he's he's still he's still a very dear friend. Speaking of the relationships that are most important to Nina. She had nothing nice to say about her birth mother, which is a moniker Nina has a hard time even using anymore. You know, my relationship with my birth mother is non-existent anymore. Oh, yeah. I kind of hate calling her birth mother. I, I usually call her incubator because, you know, she did. That's all she did for me. That's all she's ever done for me. She's just uh, an absolute habitual liar. And um, the last time I saw her was probably a five-hour session with with my therapist and my th- I went to the bathroom and as I was going to the bathroom, my therapist texted me and said, this lady is, you know, not okay. And she said, I can see it in your eyes. You're not okay with all this. And she just said, tell this lady you're an atheist. I think that will get rid of her really quickly. <laughs> and, you know, because her thing, her thing is, it's God, you know, mm-hmm. she can't take any responsibility so she will, she'll go into this God thing. And so sure enough, you know, I say, you know, by the way, I think you should know I'm an atheist. And she just like, you know, is wailing, going on the ground and, oh, oh, and, you know, this is, this is what God's punishment for, you know, me leaving you, you know, it's like, no, it was my own decision at a certain point in my life. But it was, if I had stayed in that relationship, it would have been. It would have been, there would have been three people in that relationship, me, her, and God. You know, again, I know religion helps a lot of people. I met a lot of people who, you know, um, who do good things because of their religion. You know, I've, I've donated money to specific religious organizations, but it's, it comes down to the point that there would have been three people in that relationship. So I just cut off the relationship because uh, she could not hold any responsibility for anything. And, you know, to say to her, listen, 
you know, you didn't go to prenatal care, you didn't do this, you know, you didn't do that. Why didn't you do this? Oh, I don't know. Um, the God tells me that, you know, God told me everything was going to be okay. It's like, did God tell you that I was going to be born with cerebral palsy because, you know, you didn't do what you were supposed to as a mother? Mm-hmm. And it's like, did you, you know, your second child, did you go to the doctors? Yes. It's like, so why didn't you do that with your first child? It's like, well, but, you know, God, tell, it's like, oh, okay. It's like, right. Well, I don't know where God got, God got his uh, medical degree from, but um, he needs to be, he needs to go back for some retraining or something. <laughs> Continuing education. Wow, this is crazy. I certainly wish that things had even started off better for you. As much as I hear disappointment, I don't necessarily get anger from you. Is that accurate? I, I get I get angry with her sometimes. Um, I, I don't think there's any resentment. Um, I know because I know like my mom resents her a lot. There's a lot of resentment and I, it's it's a facial expression um, that I get from my mom that is just like it's just F her. And it's like the the resentment that she has. And and it is. It's like I have so many medical issues, as you know. It's just it goes from one thing to the other that, you know, I, I just I feel like, yeah, she could have gone and, and helped out a bit. But that's that's sort of beside the point now. We're stuck here where we are. And we need to, you know, do that. You know, it's like I've not I've, I've never let my medical issues get in the way of what I want to do. And I think that if I if I sat there and stewed long and hard about what happened and everything, then I would, I, I would be bitter and that, and I would get nothing done with my life that I want to. Wow. So it sounds like it's been a rough road, but I, I mean, you are, I've listened to the vocabulary that you use and you're clearly incredibly smart. I've listened to what you've said about your degrees and things and you, you definitely have, an aura of positivity about you, regardless of all that has transpired, both prior to you even being born and since. And I find that really inspiring. That's incredible. Well, thank you. Well, thank you for sharing your story. I appreciate it. You've said you'd like to be anonymous. You've also stated your condition just now. You want me to take that out as well? Um, no, because I want people to understand that if you, uh, if you are lax about a pregnancy or, you know, you don't take things that ought to be taken seriously, seriously, that that's going to happen. I understand. That makes a lot of sense. I like that. It's an educational point. As you said, you know, I I think people have a view of cerebral palsy as this, you know, really debilitating condition. And, um, it's, I think there are a lot of us who are, it is a spectrum disorder like autism, but the thing is, is there are a lot of us out there who want to say, this is absolutely not something that is entirely debilitating. Yes, you do have physical problems. You know, yes, I do have leg braces, all these things. But the pro- the thing is, is, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't prevent me from going to school, getting degrees, things like that. That the only time that that <laughs> that um, stopped is by you know administrators who say, "Listen, you've taken a lot of time off." It's like, well, I can't really help that. But the thing is, is it's it's not it, it's not a condition that um, you know can prevent you from from learning and from you know obtaining degrees. The only thing that can prevent you from that is uh, you know the outside world. 
That's right. That's right. So very cool. Thank you so much for taking time to share your story. I appreciate it. Yeah. Well, thank you. Of course. All the best. Take care. Okay. Hey, it's me. I always knew that prenatal care is critically important to the development of a child, but Nina's story of her lifelong struggle with medical issues, cerebral palsy, epilepsy, and physical limitations taught me the consequences of not getting that care and letting gestation continue too long. But as you heard her say in the end, she doesn't let anything stand in her way when it comes to achieving great things in her life. Nina has studied abroad more than once, achieved her PhD, has gotten married, and is living her life as best she can, and I love it. Of course, I wish that her birth mother could have been more apologetic for her actions and taken more responsibility for not getting prenatal care when she was pregnant with Nina. Thankfully, she has a dedicated adopted mother who loves her, and that means a lot. I'm Damon Davis, and I hope you'll find something in Nina's journey that inspires you, validates your feelings about wanting to search, or motivates you to have the strength along your journey to learn, who am I, really? You can find Who Am I Really online at whoamireallypodcast.com, at facebook.com slash really, or follow me on Twitter at really. I'd really appreciate your support for the show with contributions at patreon.com slash waireally, paypal.me slash Damon Davis, or Venmo at Damon L. Davis. You can subscribe to Who Am I Really on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, it would mean so much to me if you took a moment to share a rating or leave a comment about what the show means to you. Your ratings really do help others to find the podcast too. Oh, and one more thing. I just wanted to let you know that my own adoption memoir, Who Am I Really?, is now available on Amazon.com. I hope you'll add my story to your reading list.